That wonderful prayer we just sang was a part of the service for our brother Stan Mallory this past week. And, um, and so we continue to pray for God to surround us all, and especially those, as our shepherd Jay mentioned, uh, the list is long of those who have lost loved ones, uh, loved ones who mean a great deal to families, and certainly loved ones uh, such as our, our brother Stan, who mean a great deal to our church family as well. We do pray, surround us, O Lord. We pray that prayer as well in the ongoing work and ministry that's continuing here. I appreciate so much, Cody, the update and the uh, report and all the work uh, that this incredible committee is doing, uh, swimming against the current in many ways, and yet at the same time knowing full well that our God uh, will bring the right person to our church to lead our youth ministry. And what an encouragement to know that that work continues and that that ministry is ongoing. I appreciate very much all of you who are doing far more uh, than uh, perhaps uh, you're even uh, willing and able to do going far beyond that because of your willingness and, and because of the great need that we have. And we appreciate you so very very much. Um, and I appreciate uh, all of your prayers. Um, I, if you're watching online, thank you for praying for uh, me and Joyce in our time of uh, COVID exile for uh, 10 days. Thankful for Davey Carter and Donnie Carnathan who did such a stellar job subbing for me after being exposed and uh, being uh, able to work and worship from home. I was joining our online brethren, Joyce and I were, uh, last uh, week. And um, so I can tell you, was reminded once again, that when you turn around and wave to the camera, uh, it gets seen, and we wave back. I'm just telling you. You don't see it, but we wave back. And so um, uh, we appreciate everyone's participation with us, whether online or here uh, in person. Um, and what a great blessing the technology is that we have. I'm beginning a, um, a series uh, from the book of Romans. This is just brand new this month. And today we find ourselves in the first three chapters with um, a sermon about the bad news. And that's exactly what this message uh, focuses on. We end with the good news. But I believe that you can't really appreciate and understand how good the good news is until you appreciate and understand how bad the bad news is and how universal the bad news is. I saw this quote several years ago, and it's from the wonderful, amazing actress Sophia Loren. Um, and she said this, I should go to heaven, otherwise it's not nice. She goes on to say this, I'm not a practicant, but I pray. I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven. Otherwise, it's not nice. I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there, and I should go straight, straight to heaven. Well, I certainly hope and pray that Sophia Loren, Loren does get to go to heaven. 
And I want everyone to do that. But I would beg to differ with her on a couple of points <laughs> that she made there. Um, and specifically that, um, that she is a sinner, as am I. I like this cartoon that you'll see up on the screen. A group coming to the, the preacher uh, saying, in this petition, request changing, quote, sinner, unquote, to, quote, person who is morally challenged. <laughs> is that a great commentary on our time? We want to soft sell this whole sinner thing. We don't want to acknowledge that I'm a sinner or that we are sinners and try to make it less negative, less serious than it actually is. The truth of the matter is scripture never does that. Never does that. Even as we think of how Even though we're sinners, we are able to be saved and live eternally. Still, it's because God took sin so seriously that that is possible. Because as was already stated earlier during our communion meditation that James led us in, it was while we were still sinners, Romans 5 says, that Christ died for us. Sean McDowell, a great um, uh, Bible student and uh, uh, apologetics, Christian evidence author and speaker, uh, wrote this recently. He said, isn't it interesting that we have to remind ourselves to be grateful, but not to be resentful? Resentment comes naturally, but gratitude must be cultivated. And that will be the sermon when we get to Romans chapter 7 that talks about the flesh and how living according to the flesh is destined for uh, defeat and frustration and death. But I think uh, uh, Sean McDowell is exactly right. Resentment comes natural for us because we are carnal. We are physical human beings. And it is that survival of the fittest, whether you're talking about physical or emotional, That's a part of our physical nature as a species, as human beings. But to overcome that resentment and to focus on the good rather than the bad, to to not focus on the things that people have done that has hurt us, but rather to focus on the one who has done so much for us that is good and undeserved, that takes effort. Gratitude takes effort. Resentment seems to come natural for us. That whole idea of I'm good enough is the lie that Satan tells us to try to convince us we don't need a savior. We don't need saving. I've done enough good in my life, far more than a lot of other people I know, that of course I'll go to heaven. Well, that's nowhere to be found in scripture. There is great assurance that we will go to heaven, but that is in spite of our sinful nature. And it's because of the gift 
of Jesus Christ. So a few things about who is guilty. (laughs) Good news, right? Who is guilty? First of all, the non-Jews are guilty. Another word for that is the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, Paul only goes 17 verses before he gets to this point. He introduces uh, the resurrection of Jesus and how it declared him with power to be the Son of God. He speaks about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how through that gospel there is made known the righteousness of God. That is available, as he's going to say in chapter 3, to all who believe. And then in verse 18, he begins pronouncing guilt. And he pronounces guilt because all have sinned. And he breaks that down into two groups. First of all, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, are guilty. In verse 18 of Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, verse 20, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Yes, the non-Jews, the Gentiles never had the law, But they are without excuse. Why? Because you can tell from creation that there is a creator. And that creator, there are two things he says specifically about him. There is eternal power and divine nature. I'm not God. And everybody can know that. And because of that, I must not worship myself or any other created thing, I must seek the one who has divine power, who has an eternal divine nature. And that can be clearly seen from the creation. Many of the Psalms bring that out as well. Without a word, they testify the creation. All the created things testify to a creator. Verse 21, he gets more specific. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They worshiped the creature rather than the creator. That included worshiping themselves. And that's verses 24 and following. Therefore, God gave them over. That term, God gave them over, is found three times in these verses. And it should scare us all to death to think that a person can get to a point in their lives where they are so opposed to God, so opposed to worshiping creator, rather than self and creation, that God will give them over to do just that. And yet he will. And Paul says that he did. Again, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
Verse 25, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. No matter what our society says, no matter what our culture says, sexual immorality is wrong. It's a sin. Whether you're talking about sexual immorality between opposite sexes, between a man and a woman, or sexual immorality between same-sex relationships, it is sinful. It is condemned in Scripture, and this is one of those passages that condemns it. Furthermore, verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. And this is where Paul leaves preaching and goes to meddling. (laughs) Because for most all of us, the sins he's talked about so far may not be the ones that we primarily struggle with, but I'm here to tell you that what he says from here on out is every bit as horrible of a sin in the eyes of a holy God as what he's already mentioned. And we forget that but it's the truth. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree, verse 32, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is not a complete list, obviously. The non-Jews are guilty. And as Paul goes on his mission journeys, he has opportunities to preach first to Jews in the synagogue, but then to non-Jews out in the community. And we see that especially in two great passages, in Acts 14 and in Acts 17. In Acts 14, he's in the areas of Lystra and Derbe, kind of in the south-central part of modern-day Turkey. But in Acts chapter 17, he's at the Areopagus in Athens. And in both cases, he speaks to non-Jews. And he doesn't quote Old Testament scripture. They don't care about Old Testament scripture. But what he does tell them is what he has already said here. That there is a God and that creation should worship and serve creator. And that God is worthy of our worship. And it is through that God that we live and move and have our very being, as he says in Acts 17 quoting some of their own poets and writers in his sermon. And so when we fail to do that, Scripture says God gave them over. If they were intent on worshiping and serving themselves and their lusts and their evil nature, rather than the God who created them, God would give them over to do that. 
Again, there's no good sins and bad sins in this list. They're all bad. And they all are seen in the same light by a holy and righteous God. None of these sins is okay. None of these sins you can say, look at it and say, well, that's not so bad. Gossip, it's not so bad. Slander, that's not so bad. They're all equal in the eyes of God. The non-Jews are guilty. Secondly, the Jews are guilty. As, as this letter is being read to the church at Rome, I'm sure they were thinking, well, you know, we have, if you're sitting there and you're a, a Jewish Christian, you're thinking, uh, yeah, amen, brother, preach on. Get those Gentiles. <laughs> and then in chapter 2, he says, now let's talk about us. Because he himself was a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee even a persecutor of the church. But he kept the law during that time, kept it as well as anybody. And then he says things like this in Romans chapter two, beginning in verse 12. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. That's the non-Jews. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. That's the Jews. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. When they love their neighbor as themselves, for example, even though there's no strict command from Leviticus 19 verse 18 for them to do that, they are blessed. But what Paul is saying is, yeah, we have the book of Leviticus, but we haven't kept it. And we too are guilty. Verse 15, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. And then in Romans 2 verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Verse 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision, you are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. We see examples of this as Peter is sent to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And the first Gentile family is converted to Jesus Christ because they receive the Holy Spirit in an extraordinary way just as they did in Acts chapter 2, because it took an extraordinary measure for them to know that this was the fulfillment of the prophecies God had promised. In Acts 15, as they meet together in the Jerusalem conference, they talk about whether they should require the law of these non-Jews that are now Christians. And the answer comes back, why would we do such a thing? Why would we require them to obey a law that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to keep? We are all guilty because we are all sinners. In 
Luke chapter 7 and chapter 18, there are a couple of incidents in the life of Jesus, some in his teaching of a parable and another instance where he's anointed by a sinful woman and a good Jew that's watching resents her for it and resents Jesus for accepting it. Paul himself understood what it meant to be forgiven. Even though he was a Jew, acting in good conscience, he was wrong. And he was accountable. And he called himself the chief, the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1. And I want to say today that as we look at these two groups, the non-Jews and the Jews, I think we may be more like the Jewish Christians addressed here than the Gentile Christians. Because we have this law of liberty that has set us free from the law of sin and death, as Paul will call it in Romans chapter 8. We have it. But do we keep it? Do we live this way? Because I might adapt a little bit of what Paul said and tell us a Christian is not a Christian who is just one who does it outwardly, just by the written word. But a Christian is one who's transformed their heart and who is following their God from their heart, not perfectly, but faithfully, genuinely, sincerely, humbly, gratefully. Until I recognize that my sins make me just as guilty as anyone else, I will never fully understand and appreciate grace. And that's why chapters 1 and 2 come before chapter 3. At least the last half of chapter 3. I will never treat others with the respect, consideration, and love with which they should be treated, with which Jesus treats them and us. Unless I recognize that I too am a sinner. The non-Jews are guilty, the Jews are guilty. And then in the first part of chapter 3, he says this, There is none that is righteous, no, not even one. Not even one. In Romans chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says this. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? In other words, if my sinfulness glorifies God, then why are you mad at me? Verse 8, why not say, Paul says in response to this, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. He's going to say more about that, as you know, in the beginning of chapter 6, when he says, should we continue on sinning so that grace might increase? That's exactly the argument that he alludes to here. Simply because we're all sinners and there's not a single one of us that's righteous, doesn't give us permission to continue to sin as if God is glorified in our sinfulness. He's not. He's not. And then we read on in Romans 3, beginning at verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage, speaking of Jewish Christians? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul quoting from Isaiah chapter 59 and other passages, including several of the Psalms in this very passage. There is none 
that is righteous. No, not even one. With apologies to Sophia Loren, (laughs) there is none that is righteous. No, not even one. You're not better than any other sinner, nor am I. And we must, we must recognize that all have sinned, that there is none that is righteous, not even one. Well, how is this good news? You say, boy, Bill, thanks for the buildup today. Man, whew, this is, this is one, I, I need to get the CD on this one because boy, I, 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 whenever I'm down, I wanna hear how horrible I am. That's a great sermon right there. And if that's where this stopped, that would be true. But that's not where it stops. God is more, you see, than nice. He is just and he is merciful. His justice demands that he deal with sin and he did. His mercy moved him to sacrifice his own son. Jesus, keep me near the cross. That's our prayer. Because that's the only place where we can find forgiveness. That's the only place that offers life. Jesus, keep me near the cross. And so all of this, Romans 1 through 3, verse 20, leads up to this great passage that we'll look at more next week, beginning in verse 21 of Romans 3. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Why not? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came. By Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the gospel. That is the good news. The bad news is the non-Jews are guilty. The Jews are guilty. There is none that is righteous, not even one, including me. But because of that, there is a righteousness that comes from God, not from me. To all who believe, because all have sinned and fall short and all are justified freely by his grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there is victory, but there is only victory in Jesus. When we hear that wonderful old, old story, and we respond in faith. I heard an old, old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his cleansing, his, uh, his healing, his cleansing power revealing. And so I repented of my sins and I won the victory, but only, only in Jesus. This morning, if you want that victory in Jesus, we're here to help you find it. Come 
as we stand and sing this great hymn together.